Good Enough Mother podcast. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist and a mother, and my mission is to change how motherhood is culturally defined and individually experienced. I want women who are mothers to feel supported, empowered, held, revered, and respected. I have discussions here with experts and changemakers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. You're listening to episode number 69, A New Take on Mummy Wars. So when I say a new take, I'm not saying that necessarily this is the first time mummy wars have been spoken about in this way. What I'm saying is that I think this is a new take on the mummy wars that I would love to see as part of our broader cultural conversation and understanding around the mummy wars, the so-called mummy wars and what that actually means and to actually direct our attention away from unpacking and unraveling the judgment or comparison or conflict between and among mothers and take a step back to look at the broader picture and context in which these interactions and this narrative of mummy wars, how that actually has been constructed and plays out. So hope you enjoy this episode and head to the show notes after you have a listen in order to have a look at the graphics there um, to complement your understanding of some of the concepts that I refer to. Okay, the so-called mummy wars, the supposed mummy wars. What are we talking about when I say mummy wars? Why do I say supposed? And how do the mummy wars relate to patriarchal motherhood? Why should we be interested in the mummy wars and deconstructing the mummy wars if we want to reconstruct what it means to be a mother in our society and culture? Uh, In line with the purpose of this podcast and a lot of my work, A motherhood that sees mothers as empowered and valued and respected and heard and connected. How do the mummy wars play into this? Well, when I say the mummy wars, what comes to mind for you? When I say it, I'm thinking judgment, comparison, rivalry, competition, a sense of division, potentially lack of connection. We can also think about the way the ways that mummy wars are framed in terms of pitting mothers against each other according to how they lead their lives and how they mother, what their values may be, as well as what their contexts are. So, for example, stay-at-home mothers versus working mothers or breastfeeding mothers versus formula-feeding mothers or it could be any number of ors, right? Um, we can even position it in terms of like single mothers versus partnered mothers. Um, There are all different ways that we can divide ourselves up, right? To place ourselves into particular boxes of what type of mother we are. And I am curious, you know, for you to experience potentially an exercise where you really consciously think about what boxes you are part of, what boxes either you have been placed in by others or boxes that you've aligned yourself with, you know, because that can also be an important way of building and creating our sense of identity in motherhood is to actually align ourselves with um, a particular way of mothering or a particular group or community of mothers. And what the mummy wars point to are the ways in which these different groups or different boxes are positioned in conflict with each other, in tension with each other. So we have stay-at-home mothers who feel, experience, and believe X, Y, Z. And we have the working mothers who feel, experience, and believe the opposite. And those two are apparently in intention. 
The first thing I want to say about the mummy wars is that the boxes are all constructed to begin with. So our, our identities are not absolute. They're actually changing. They're in flux. They vary according to our context. They vary according to the season of motherhood we're in. They vary according to our children's ages, our life circumstance, a whole bunch of things they vary according to. So in many ways, what I've experienced and witnessed is that we may align ourselves or identify ourselves in a particular way as mothers for that particular season of motherhood we're within when we are seeking out specifically connection and a sense of belonging because we're going through a period of our own personal growth, change, turmoil, breakdown, breakthrough, however we want to position this. And so we're looking for a sense of belonging. Where do we fit in? Where do we fit in? And when we're asking ourselves that question, whether it be as explicitly as that or not, we can look to other boxes and labels to try and identify uh, with that label so that we can be drawn in in closer connection to others who also identify in that similar way. It's not to say there's anything wrong with that. It's just to notice uh, that tendency and how that may play out for us. But what I've noticed and experienced, and I, I wonder if you've experienced any of this yourself, are the ways in which the boxes that we have come to identify ourselves with, the labels that we've come to take on for ourselves, the ones that at first feel freeing can become another cage. So the very same labels that we may move towards to give us a sense of peace and place and identity and connection and community can sometimes become layers that feel heavy, that feel constricting, that feel constraining. And the things that were once tools become weapons sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, And so what can happen in this place is that we can go searching for other labels. You know, we can go searching for other ways to try and identify ourselves. Um, Other times though, we can try and almost create a patchwork of who we are. We may decide that we wear different hats in different contexts. So we're this type of person or a woman or a worker or a mother over here, and we're this type over here in this different context. Um, so all of that is to, in summary, basically say the boxes themselves are all made up and they are all fluid and they work for us until they no longer work for us. And what the mummy was rest upon this constructed notion of we're in competition with each other, that assumes that those boxes are absolute. That assumes that those categories are actually not movable because if we have two things that are in tension with each other, in order for them to remain in competition or in conflict, mummy wars, right? Think about the very deliberate language here. If they're going to be in tension, they actually need to both be formed and almost rooted or anchored into the ground. If something is not going to be intention anymore and it moves in a different direction, that signifies a level of fluidity, a level of change. And if we are thinking about the mummy wars as divisions between stay-at-home mothers and working mothers, that tension and that division relies on the separation of those categories. And we know from the research that actually in reality, Most mothers experience time as so-called stay-at-home mothers working inside the home or full-time mothering and will at some stage engage in some form of paid work. So those boxes are not actually as solid as they may appear. 
And this is the same across lots of other issues um, or practices or identities that are part of mothering. And so the first point to make and to really grasp is that when we are talking about the so-called mummy wars, what are we actually referring to here? And can we be careful to not unintentionally reinforce the so-called mummy wars by assuming that the categories that we are referring to are absolute and unchanging? The next point to make here is that the mummy wars are a symptom of and a product of patriarchal motherhood. So we go back to the fish tank of motherhood model. I've popped in the show notes, a three minute animation video for those of you who haven't seen it, that basically sums up my model approach, a way of thinking about motherhood sociologically is that if we think about that tank as being our society, the world that we live within our, our, what creates our social norms, right? And written on that tank are all of the rules around perfect motherhood. They're all of the rules that say things like a perfect mother never experiences anger or frustration or indifference or apathy or agitation or irritation. You know, the perfect mother always places the needs before not only her children, but everyone else before her own needs. She doesn't even have needs, right? She doesn't have desires. She doesn't have wants and wishes that are independent from her role as mother because all of who she is, is mother. And while she likely works outside the home, you know, air quotes for that one, while she likely works for an income in waged work in some way, because the perfect mother isn't reliant upon anyone else for a wage for financial stability, security, or sustenance, she likely makes sure she never puts that wage work or her career or her creative projects or anything that is separate from the sphere of mothering. She never puts that before her children. Her children always come first. Her role as a mother always comes first. And she loves motherhood. It comes naturally to her. She intended to be a mother. And beyond all of these prescriptions, which I've talked more about in lots of other places, she likely fits a very narrow version of perfect motherhood that is the idealized white, middle-class, heterosexual, married woman. Okay, she does not have a disability. Her children do not have disability or live with disability or additional needs. Right? She's not a migrant, right? so English is her first language. She's not racialized or black or indigenous. She is a very specific and narrow version of what it means to be a mother, and she actually doesn't exist in her entirety. There is no mother who actually fits the idealized image and standard of what is put on a pedestal as a product of patriarchal motherhood. And so when we see all of these rules written on the tank of good motherhood, on this fish tank of motherhood, and we not only see those rules, we experience them. We experience them too long before we become mothers ourselves. We go through our own processes of socialization that makes the categories of woman and mother synonymous. So we achieve supposedly our full womanhood through our motherhood. And then when we become mothers, we are devalued, demoted, and seen as doing nothing. We have to strive to try and earn, prove, and achieve our value as both individuals and as mothers. So when we look around this 
fish tank, which is what we're doing is with you listening to this and what I try and encourage in my work for us to make this visible, because in order for it to remain in place and operate in the way that it does, that requires we don't know about it, that we just take on these rules and internalize them. And we actually police ourselves, right? We don't really need others to perform the judgment and the surveillance, although that still goes on. We don't really need that because we place these rules on ourselves. And this is where a lot of mum guilt is produced. Not all, but a lot of mum guilt comes from us feeling as though we individually can't live up to these idealized standards that we've been socialized into and that we see reinforced around us at every turn in our media, social media, advertising, just even our policy, right? In in the way that policies are put together in the types of leave or not that are afforded uh, to, to mothers and to parents. Um, in all sorts of institutional ways, the perfect mother myth plays out. Um, these assumptions go into shaping the structures, the systems and the institutions that pretty much all of us uh, will interact with probably on a daily basis. Okay, so coming back to this original point that I started making a few minutes ago, that the mummy wars are a symptom of and a product of patriarchal motherhood. That's because these rules that are written on the tank actually funnel us into the good mother or bad mother category. They create the so-called mummy wars. And not only do the mummy wars where we have competition in thinking that someone else is doing it better than us, or we need to try harder or do more because we compare ourselves to another mother or idealized standard of motherhood. Not only does that, is that produced by those rules that are written on the tank, and I'll explain how in a minute. The other impact of that is, is that we are looking at us in the tank, the fish tank of motherhood, visualize this. In that tank, we're looking at ourselves and self-examining and internalizing how we are or aren't living up to the idealized standards of perfect motherhood. And we're also looking at other fish. We're also looking at other mothers and judging or surveilling or policing or thinking about or comparing ourselves with them and how they're doing. And what this means is that our energy and our focus and our attention is placed on the self and other mothers and not at the tank and the structure. And this is part of how that tank and structure remains strong because it's unexamined largely. Like, let's start changing that. And I think that we are. Um, But when it is taken to be the norm and natural and assumed and just the way things are, and we don't actually turn our attention towards what is structurally produced and reproduced, then we spend our energy and attention and focus actually on policing ourselves according to this structure and looking at how others are doing so as well. And this plays out not just in, in motherhood, but it plays out more broadly, I think, uh, in uh, as women. And this is part of feminist theory, thinking about the beauty myth and the ways that you know older women and younger women are pitted against each other. And I've covered some of these themes on the podcast before. I'm thinking here about the episode with Camille O'Keefe. We, we spoke about this, uh, the ways in which actually competition and comparison between us as women and here specifically between us as mothers is part of what actually dilutes our power. It's part of what actually keeps our power diluted because our energy and attention and focus is on the self and other and not at the broader systems and structures. So the purpose of this podcast even though I could take it in the direction of let's individually examine how we are judging other mothers and let's start unpacking that, 
you know, we could have an episode on that. But what my focus here um, is actually on us understanding how the mummy wars operate and how they're produced so that we can develop a critical lens as if you'd like a cultural assessor of the mummy wars so that we can start to be attuned and alert to and it's like we've gained a little kind of antenna um, to pick up the signals around us when the mummy wars are playing out. And instead of being drawn into them as a participant, can we sit and stand outside of them as an observer to see what is going on here and to see how the perpetuation of this conflict and this tension actually contributes to sustaining the structure and the power of the tank of patriarchal motherhood because i think that if we if we can build this lens of curiosity if we can build what is actually a tolerance for witnessing and observing and then potentially unpacking and looking at what is beneath the surface what is actually not being said in these interactions or in these framings i think that we can open possibility for and gain access to deeper understandings and unravelings of how the so-called mummy wars and the comparisons and the conflict um, that can erupt between mothers, how that is actually playing out. What's the broader context of that? Um, And so part of what this all rests upon, which I've mentioned, is the binary of the good and the bad mother. And this is something I dive into in my certification. We just covered this a week ago. The ways in which the the good mother is put on a pedestal. So the perfect mother is put on that, that pedestal, kind of look at her way up looking down from us on top of that mountain. And we know that she's a ghost, right? We know that she's a construct. She's not actually a real person because as we've discussed, we know that the idealized motherhood is just a construct. It's not a reality. And she's looking down at the bad mothers below, right? So she's able to tell who she is and what her identity as perfect mother is, as idealized mother, through comparing herself to those who are below her. The perfect mother only exists because she is able to compare herself to, and when I'm talking herself, again, just reiterating, not talking about actual people here, I'm talking about the construct, because the construct, she can compare herself to the construct that she is not. And so idealized motherhood and the perfect mother myth is only able to sustain the power that it does through resting on the demonization of so-called bad mothers, mothers who don't fit within this mold. And if we go to this imagery, and I'll touch a graphic that can help um, contextualize this explanation, if we go to this imagery and we see her up on that mountaintop, if we see her up on that pinnacle and she's looking down below, what does that also signify? That's also a form of surveillance. And so I'm talking about this more symbolically than, than literally here. But it's a form of surveillance. This is how power operates. And this is how we remain in that tank, fish tank of good motherhood, of idealized motherhood, because we are policed. We are judged. We do feel that in different contexts and, you know, it varies according to each of us. But you experience that sense of judgment, that that sense of comparison, that sense of, of, oh, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You're not good enough. And we also surveil and police and judge ourselves. So down on, you know, the ground, right. And looking up to the top of that mountain, we think about all of the ways in which we prove to ourselves that we're not good enough, 
that we don't deserve to climb up there, that we don't have the skill set, the capacity to the knowledge. We don't look a certain way. We, we don't have a particular job or a level of education. We, we just can't do it. We just can't do it. And so we try and work harder and try and work harder to try and climb up that mountain of idealized motherhood. And in the process, we become depleted and exhausted and at our absolute limits. But we take that to mean that we mustn't be strong enough. Not that the climb has actually been rigged from the outset and that we can never actually make it up there. The reason why I'm framing it in this way and what I'd like us to consider is not that actually let's resource mothers and let's uh, build our own toolkits so that we can climb that mountain of idealized motherhood. What we're doing is we're stepping away from the landscape altogether and we're saying let's create a new one that isn't based on and built off binaries that mean we ought to and need to be in competition in order to maintain a type of tension that keeps our attention focused on the self and each other rather than on the broader picture and narrative of what it means to be a mother in our society and culture, which we well know impacts, enormously impacts our individualized experiences of motherhood. Go back and listen to episode 53 of this podcast if you'd like to hear more about those individualized impacts. And so while I am talking here about how we individually, as you as a person listening to this podcast, can start to take on and explore and think about the meaning of the so-called mummy wars and to start to build that awareness as a cultural assessor, to, to stop and invite in a sense of curiosity whenever we experience or witness messages that actually talk about and pose mothers as being in competition. Whilst I'm talking about this in an individualized way here, I want to make clear that this is produced not by individuals, but by systems and cultural patterns. Kate Orton Johnson, uh, she wrote an article in 2017. The article is Mummy Blogs and Representations of Motherhood, Bad Mummies and Their Readers. Um, And she interestingly does some kind of analysis there of mummy blogs and conflict, and there'd be so much material rife on social media that um, could be used for fueling this type of discussion and inquiry. But part of what she says here is pointing to the ways that the so-called mummy wars are actually uh, reflective of broader processes, social and cultural and economic processes, actually, when she um, talks about individualism. So I'll read you a quote here. Uh, Orton Johnson says, ideologies about maternal selflessness conflict with Western work-centered cultures, resulting in a lose-lose situation for women who are emotionally, economically, and structurally placed between opposing ideological positions. Um, And the way that I have framed that is in the care-career conundrum, which I will share more about at some stage. Uh, And this is if you think of two concentric circles. Actually, I'll pop a graphic of this in the show notes as well. So just go and have a look rather than me explaining it. Um, but it's the ways in which we are in literal opposition because we can't actually fulfill all of the requirements of what it means to be this good, independent career woman who is autonomous and climbs her career ladder and is able to tick off all of those markers of achievement and productivity and success. We can't do all of that while at the same time being successful in being the good mother who self-sacrifices, who gives up for her children and who decenters herself in order to nurture her children's growth. 
Okay. In, in, in many ways, I think we can actually have the opposite conversation and, and look at all of the ways in which the mother actually needs to be centered in order to support and nurture her children's growth. Uh, but continuing on the last part of this quote from Autumn Johnson here, she says, this ignores the diversity of mothers and their social contexts, creating oppositional groupings to be compared and judged. And I would invite you to take yourself back to an experience that you may have had or witnessed uh, or even seen play out because these types of mummy wars and competition are demonstrated through, you know, popular culture and, and film and media. And look at what may be driving those types of conflicts, because something that I'd like to suggest and I'm not saying this is an absolute, but this is just my interpretation, is that as human beings and I think particularly as mothers, when we first become mothers, we seek a sense of social belonging. We want to try and find our place. We want to try and find our community. This is particularly in contexts where we've been starved of this sense of belonging and sense of community, specifically in the context of the pandemic, right? And we look at all of the ways and mechanisms in which that very community has been disrupted and huge barriers and obstacles placed in our way when we literally cannot even leave our homes, right? In order to seek out and build these types of connections, but we yearn for, and we seek these types of connections and a sense of belonging. And so in order to try and find our place, we can, if we go back to what I've mentioned earlier in the episode, we can sort of look to particular labels and ways of identifying ourselves in order to help us find and build language to find our community and, and our sense of connection in, in motherhood. And what I think contributes a lot to the, the mummy wars here is actually fear of not finding that or fear of that connection or a sense of identity or place or belonging being taken away. And fear is what fuels the judgment. Fear is what fuels the other in because judging the other can make ourselves feel better. Going back to that good mother, bad mother binary and the, the perfect idealized mother on top of that mountain, right? If we're on top of, well, we're placing ourselves in our mind as trying to be on top of this mountain, right? To confirm that we're actually up there, we look down below, and ensure that they don't come up because that may feels like it may threaten our position of rightness. And I think where that comes from is actually a sense of insecurity, which is well-founded, right? So not judging ourselves for this, like holding this whole conversation compassionately, but to know that if we were really secure, if we were standing on our own solid ground, that would actually allow us to hold and tolerate difference to accept difference and different practices and ways of mothering because we had enough confidence in our own groundedness and sense of self and identity and community and support and connection that we don't need others to replicate or to mirror who we are in order to try and bolster our own self-confidence. And one of the reasons and ways in which patriarchal motherhood and this fish tank of motherhood creates these situations and circumstances is because the tank has socialized us into a belief that we need to earn our worthiness and that we're actually not enough and that we do need to prove our value and our worth and build and claim and construct our identity as being better than another. So thinking about the ways that broader social processes and our society and culture create a particular context and environment 
in which we're primed to actually feel a deficit, to feel fear, to feel a need to try and clutch to and scramble for and cling to and fight for our value and worthiness. Particularly if there are limited resources and there feels as though there is a competition for power, which there often can be in patriarchal societies based on capitalism and consumerism. So let's let's just pause and let's connect our experiences of or our observations of or the way that we're told particular narratives about what the mummy wars are and how they play out. And let's recognize that they're produced by quite specific yet complex systems, social systems, which are systems of power. And this means that if we want to dismantle the mummy wars, if we want to shift the way that conflict and tension play out in motherhood, we need to go beyond the resolution being, let's just be kinder and let's have more compassion for ourselves and each other. That can be the starting point of this conversation, but I don't think we actually get anywhere as a culture and society unless we understand the bigger picture of what is happening and how this structure and system operates. So the main takeaways here, experiences of mothers and particularly the so-called mummy wars. When I say so-called mummy wars, it's pointing to the ways in which a particular narrative has been manufactured and perpetuated around conflict and tension in motherhood. But the so-called mummy wars and the experiences of mothers in being judged or feeling as though they're in competition or experiencing comparison in motherhood, let's situate it within the broader cultural context of patriarchal motherhood. And when we take our understanding of that broader context, which is the fish tank of motherhood model, when we understand how that model operates and we see how the good mother, bad mother binary creates and perpetuates mummy wars, We can start to see how this is a system and a cycle that plays out. And our role as mothers and or as people who are passionate about supporting mothers and changing the cultural construction of motherhood, our role first and foremost is to be an informed observer that is able to hold space, invite in curiosity, to be an opener, a connector, to hold space for difference, And to zoom backwards from the micro to look at the macro of structurally what's going on. And then from there, once we've developed that perspective, then decide what move we'd like to make next, right? Whether we're a practitioner or a mother. And as I said in this episode, that's a whole different conversation. But I hope that this conversation here has been one that is thought provoking and potentially opens perspective and and opens us perceiving and understanding the so-called mummy wars in a different light. If you have enjoyed this episode and you have found it useful or interesting, I would really appreciate if you would consider leaving the podcast a review so I can try and get this podcast and these episodes out to a broader audience. Thank you for being here with me. Hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. If you're a mother who would like to take these conversations further, consider joining my private membership group, Liberated Motherhood. Or if you're somebody who works with mothers, then check out my Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification. You can find more details about these at my website and reach out and connect at drsophiebrock.com. 